0: The hell are you supposed to be? My parents' death was not your fault. My parents deserve justice. I cannot let that pass. If you make yourself more than just a man, then you become something else entirely. Watch this. A legend, Mr. Wayne. Master Wayne, are you coming back for long, sir? As long as it takes to show the people of Gotham their city doesn't belong to the criminals and the corrupt. Bruce? Rachel? You're gone a long time. I know. Things are worse than ever down here. What chance does Gotham have when the good people do nothing? No a survival suit for advanced infantry. Kevlar utility harness. Gas-powered magnetic grapple gun. What's that? On the tumbler you wouldn't be interested in that. I spent a lot of time being scared for you. And I heard you were back. But the man I loved... The man who vanished never came back. He's here. Who? The Batman. God, that must be destroyed. Gotham isn't beyond saving. Just hold up. Rachel, guy dresses up like a bat, clearly has issues. Batman Begins, 2005. Welcome to episode 6 of The Scale, comic book movie guys, series segment, The Scale. Now, this is going to be interesting. As we all know, the Dark Knight trilogy is fascinating. It is such a good trilogy of movies. And, you know, it starts with Batman Begins. Batman Begins is an origin tale. And, you know, there's a lot of good... To unpack here in these movies. And it's important that, you know, when I did the 90s movies, we did the good versus the bad, and we're going to continue that trend and do the good versus the bad with this Dark Knight trilogy. Christopher Nolan was brought in to redo a franchise, reboot it, and he chose to do it in a way that is very grounded and very different from any other version of the character we've seen. So, This was a fun episode and, you know, watching this movie, I watched it so many times and it got to the point where I didn't overly enjoy the movie at times just because I watched it so many times. But watching it this time, it was very interesting to me for a couple of reasons. And, you know, doing this good scale versus bad It's, you end up finding dialogue in a movie that you've watched so many times. You're listening so intently. You're trying to kind of see where the filmmaker was coming from. And like, there's obvious good in the Dark Knight trilogy, but it's actually kind of amazing what I was able to, you know, discover as I watched this film in greater detail for the first time. And yeah, I'm going to dive right into it. I have a lot of good to unpack, so that's what I'm going to start with. I'm going to do the good, and then I'll get into the bad. There's very few bad points. I'll I'll tell you that right off the bat. But the bad points that were there, they're more opinion based bad points, which I thought was really interesting. You know, in some of the old Batman movies, there is like actual bad points that a lot of people would agree on and agree with me on. But in this film, uh, being the first of this huge trilogy that you know, Warner Brothers landed, and, you know, quite frankly, Christopher Nolan killed it. It's interesting to me what I found to be bad versus what I found in the good that I didn't have before. So I'm going to start listing the good for you here. Sit back and enjoy this episode because these next three films are such good films. And, you know, it's, it's going to be a lot of fun for me to be telling you guys what i like and hopefully for you guys to be listening on the other end and you know agreeing with a lot of the things that i d- i did find in this and maybe i have some dialogue in here that maybe you didn't explore in greater detail until you maybe listen to this episode so rewatch these films after this series is my recommendation because you know, there's so much, even in what I've, you know, what I started with, with the 1989, working through the 90s Batmans, and now starting the Nolan trilogy, I've found so much in these films, whether it be good or bad. So here we go. Let's get this started. So right away, we have a new Batman theme. Uh, I found the theme to be very dark. It's heavy. You know, it's got the big bass drums. We know we're in for something uh, that we've never seen before in regards to Batman because you know the Warner brother logo is and the intro credits are kind of grayscale and it felt more modern and I really like that the way the bat sim, the way the bat symbol is introduced in this film it's introduced through us to us through uh bats flying you know like it kind of shapes the bat logo in the bats flying through the air, and there's sort of that orange tinge to the sky in the background. Um, I'm going to get into more how the Dark Knight trilogy, uh, Nolan uses the elements like earth, fire, and ice for his intros. And I'll talk about that with each episode. But for this one, we kind of see an earth element in the sense that it's the bats actually forming the bat logo. When Bruce falls through the hole that ultimately leads him to the cave at a young age, it's the first scene in the movie. And I found the bats to be menacing. They're loud. Actually, anyone would be scared of that experience if that happened to you. And that was a really good way to film that. I have here that Wayne Manor looks great. Wayne Manor does look great in this film. It was... uh, the way it was shot, it, it doesn't look like a set. You know, like it was actually a mansion somewhere in the world. And the architecture for it and everything, it worked really well. Ducard. Now, Ducard is Liam Neeson's character. And I have here that he's a great addition to the film. I love that he trains Bruce in the mountains. You know, this film with the League of Shadows, it's such a true origin film for Batman. And, you know, when he's in the mountains training with Ducard, we sort of get a sense for maybe what we hadn't seen in the past, where Batman's skills come from. And I'll get into a point in the bad eventually here where, you know, I talk about Batman's fighting in the Dark Knight trilogy and how it's not quite up to par with what I had hoped for. But that's going to come in a bit later segment of the episode here. The cinematography in this film is gorgeous. I mean, Christopher Nolan in any of his movies, he's just known to be that guy. He's that director. He's got beautiful beautiful films with, you know, beautiful real practical sets. He he goes to sites to shoot. Like if he wants, you know, that scenic mountain vibe, he's going to go to the mountains. He's going to go to Iceland. He's going to shoot these scenes on site of where there actually is beautiful scenery for the cinematography and it's yeah, they they make it out to be this journey that is almost unaccomplishable for any man. Like Bruce's journey through the mountains and stuff. And you really felt that as he's climbing this mountain. And there it's obviously shot in different areas on a mountain. So I I I love the practical the practicality to Christopher's scenes. I have here that the League of Shadows is so dope. I love that it's perched on top of a mountain like that. And fun fact for you, that that is actually a miniature set, like a tiny little sculpture. That's what that is. And Christopher was able to, you know, have his crew film this tiny little set, this sculpture that they had at Warner Brothers, that they had made to look like the League of Shadows, and that's they kind of enlarged it to make the scale bigger for film. Fascinating. Here's a taste of the dialogue, and this is kind of what we're in for with the Nolan trilogy. Fabulous writing here between him and David Goyer, who, well, David Goyer wrote this story, and, you know, he's been attached to Batman ever since, but here we go. Here's a taste for you. He says, Bruce... Uh, finally gets to the top of the mountain and he runs into Ducard at the top of the mountain. And Ducard says, what do you seek? And then Bruce says, I seek the means to fight injustice, to turn fear onto those who prey on the fearful. To manipulate the fears in others, you must first conquer your own. Really good, right? Like you're, you're seeing what Bruce needs to accomplish before he can become fear himself. He's told to grab a flower. When he meets, Ducard somehow gets inside his prison cell, which I'll get into that here soon. Um, you know, he tells him, if you decide to make the journey up the hill, up the mountain, grab one of these flowers on your way. And I love that the flower is sort of symbolic. It's a symbol for Bruce's journey. And the fact that it acts as like a hallucinogen at the end of his training, is really, really cool. And it helps him conquer fear because it ultimately shows him the fear that he's feeling. It makes you hallucinate. So I thought it was very symbolic of his journey. Each character in this film has a reoccurring narrative. The first we see is Alfred. He's present when uh, when Thomas Wayne says... To Bruce, why do we fall? So we can choose to pick ourselves back up. Now, you'll see where I'm going with this later in the episode. Thomas Wayne is very fleshed out in this film. Martha, not so much. Uh, we see we just see how close Thomas Wayne was to Bruce when he was younger. Uh, I have here that Gotham City is a real city. Our first look at a new Gotham that is not stylized, but much more grounded. The idea to have Bruce be afraid of the gothic opera opera singers because they resemble bats is brilliant. You know, he starts having these flashes, like he's watching the opera singers recline from their, you know, different points on the stage. And he starts to hallucinate, like not hallucinate, but imagine the bats coming towards him. The Wayne murders. I have, this is the note that I wrote down here. It says the Wayne murders are scary, man. I was 10 years old when I watched this. It happens so fast. And, you know, Thomas saying, don't be afraid is terrifying because it's like, oh, shit, he's still alive. Like he got shot and he's, you know, he's clinging on to life. And that's just traumatic. They show the trauma that Bruce sort of went through with the death of his parents in the alley. And then, of course, the shot as the camera's sort of pulling away, the shot of Bruce in the alley with his dead parents is perfect. It's, yeah, perfection. Gordon's introduction is great. He tells Bruce it's going to be okay. The only cop to console him in that sort of situation, he kind of puts a coat around him and says, you know, it's okay. It's it's okay. It's powerful to show how alone Alfred and Bruce are. They take the time to build this relationship between the two of them. The death of the Waynes is tragic for both of them. Like they were both close with the Waynes. And then, you know, it's just Alfred and Bruce in that big empty house. Notice how Batman's claws on his forearm end up being the same ones as he wears from the League of Shadows. Like when Batman creates his Batsuit, they're identical to those like forearm claws that he's wearing when he's uh, having the sword fight with Ducard um, out in the middle of the lake. They teach him theatricality and and deception. Now, that's critical, right? Because Batman uses so much of that, and you kind of see it's all because of the League of Shadows. That's where he learned it. Ducard and Bruce become very close during their training. It sets up a good dynamic for controversy when Bruce ultimately doesn't agree with his morals and beliefs in killing. The only flashback that works for me is when, so I should preface this with, One of my bads is the flashbacks, just because they sort of, they don't warn you that the flashbacks are going to happen, and then all of a sudden, you know, we're back 10 years ago when Bruce first visits Gotham, or, you know, little things like this that they throw in there. But I have here that the only flashback that really works for me is when Bruce says to Descartes, vengeance is no help to me. And we see him back in Gotham for the first time when he's younger, and, you know, he was such an asshole. Uh, he had he even had intentions to kill Joe Chill at the trial. You know he he carries a small gun with him and he goes to shoot him. He goes to assassinate him after the trial. I have this. This is my. I have a good note here for Rachel's character. Now Katie Holmes is awesome in this, and I I really wish that you know her schedule didn't get in the way for Dark Knight and. Ultimately that would have been the as we know Rachel dies in the dark knight, so that would have been her final movie as the character, but I just wish she would have been like made the return. It would have made that character so much better because she was great in this film. But listen to this dialogue. She explains in this dialogue she explains justice versus revenge. So this is what I'm gonna read here. She says justice is about harmony. Revenge is about make is about you making yourself feel better. You care about justice? Look beyond your own pain, Bruce. This city is rotting. Falcone floods the streets with crime and drugs, preying on the desperate, creating new Joe Joe chills every day. He may not have killed your parents, but he's destroyed what they stood for. I love this scene from Rachel. Great delivery by Katie Holmes, and I wish Rachel didn't get recast. She teaches Bruce such a valuable lesson here, In this scene, and it changes how he feels towards revenge. Call back to my previous episode. Now, there's there's power you can't buy. You know, I said that that in an earlier episode, how, you know, as Falcone would say. Because he does say that in this film. He goes, now, there's power you can't buy. I wouldn't have a second's hesitation of blowing your head off right here in front of this judge, these cops, everything. It shows how corrupt Gotham City is. In that scene, you know, Bruce goes to visit Falcone. I have here that Falcone is great. Uh, don't come down here with your anger trying to prove something. This is a world you'll never understand. But you always fear. But you'll never understand. And then we have the callback. And I, I spoke about callbacks at the very beginning of this episode. How each character sort of has a callback moment. And here's Batman's. He says, you know, he throws his wallet in this homeless man's trash he's got a trash fire going you know throws throws a couple of things he throws a scarf in there and then gives this homeless man his coat and the guy keeps he keeps saying you know nice coat this is a nice coat and then away he goes he runs into the night bruce runs into the night and then we see when batman first comes back like as batman he that same homeless man is there and he goes nice coat Love that. Love how there's callbacks. And you'll see a few more in this episode. The final trials for the League of Shadows, when he's wearing his full when Bruce is wearing he's basically in full ninja gear um, at the end of that sort of becoming fear. I think that's a really good look. And it shows sort of the ninja style of the League of Shadows. Embrace your worst fear. Become one with the darkness. Liam Neeson is perfect for this dialogue. He just delivers it so, so well. My next one is, your compassion is your weakness, a trait that your enemies will not share. Bruce says, that's why it's so important. It separates us from them. The idea that Ducard doesn't understand um, this sort of narrative that Bruce is stating, but Bruce made this decision for himself after talking with Rachel all those years ago, makes this like a really good conflict between these two characters. They both sort of stand for the same thing, but one is willing to go that step further and kill. Love the scene where Bruce saves Ducard from falling off the side of the mountain. Shows how much he cared for his trainer. And when he's screaming, trying to pull him up, you know, all I could think about was you know how strong and motivated this guy is and that was a really awesome moment some more examples of fantastic dialogue people need dramatic example this is when okay this is when Bruce is coming back to Gotham and he's talked like for the second time and he's talking to Alfred on the plane like if you rewatch this movie listen intently to what Bruce is saying to Alfred like the writing here is awesome People need dramatic examples to shake them out of apathy. And I can't do that as Bruce Wayne. As a man, I am flesh and blood. I can be ignored. I can be destroyed. But as a symbol, as a symbol, I can be incorruptible. I can be everlasting. Man, isn't that fantastic dialogue? Like, if you think about it, these guys who wrote this story, this, you know, David Goyer, Sitting down, he, it's easy to say, okay, Batman's going to be a symbol. But how are we going to present that to the public, right? And it's more about... This movie is more about Bruce finding himself and conquering fear before coming, becoming the symbol that is Batman. I, it's fantastic. <laughs> I'm so glad they casted Cillian Murphy as Dr. Crane, and not Batman. Now, we know from, I don't know if you guys know this or not, but Cillian Murphy was one of the final callbacks for Batman. And, you know, there's footage of him and Christian Bale in the Batsuit, respectively, uh, put, like pulling off some dialogue in the Batsuit. And those screen tests, Cillian just, he, he wasn't the character, he, like he wasn't the guy. You know, and you can see why they chose Christian Bale. But I'm just so glad that he was cast as Scarecrow. I love this scene of Bruce just studying where everyone is at. I didn't catch this the first hundred times I watched this film. You know, he's he's sitting cross-legged on the floor. This is the scene where the bat is sort of flying around his living room, and he's sitting on the floor. Uh, he's got like all of Gotham city laid out in front of him. And he's like taking notes. He's got this little notepad and he's writing down, you know, who Gordon is, where, like, where does he rank? Where does everybody rank in Gotham city? You know, he's doing his homework before he just dives headfirst into like going out and crime fighting. I have here that the cave is so realistic and awesome. It's a legitimate cave. The bats attack and swarm Bruce, but I love that he's able to now stand while they're swarming him and conquer that fear. It's a badass moment. Christian makes a constant effort in this film, Christian Bale, that is, to be an asshole as Bruce Wayne in the public eye. And he really, he tries to sell that there's no way that Bruce Wayne would be Batman. And I understand why they decided to go this route, um, but I will get into why that is one of my bads. Later in this episode. I have here, so I really like that they answer obvious plot hole questions in this film. They answer things like, hey, why does Batman's armor stop bullets and knives, but hasn't been put into production in the army or something? Well, it's 300 grand, so they aren't paying for that, you know? Like, Lucius Fox, when he's showing Bruce these things, the dialogue is so important because it does fill those plot holes that you might ask. There's pretty detailed explanation to every item Bruce looks at it with Mr. Fox. Again, script writing and attention to detail. If you're going to be a grounded, realistic Batman film, you need to take the time to pay attention to the fine details to have it make sense and feel practical. It's a huge achievement in my opinion. Mr. Fox understands from the start that like what Bruce is doing. I like that instead of talking about it directly, they play this sort of game where they dance around the topic. It's it's really charming when they're both on screen and they're doing that. Okay, here's the scene I was talking about from Mask of the Phantasm. He's wearing almost identical gear setting up the cave. Um, then on to the next scene where he goes to do some recon in the Bellaclava. Uh, again, very similar to Mask of the Phantasm. You know, he visits Gordon. He... Sort of tries to get some information from him. He's just out there. He doesn't fight any crime, but he is in that same outfit, the balaclava with the utility belt and stuff. Just early days, early days Batman, and I love that. Alfred and Bruce deciding how to develop the cowl. If you listen to that dialogue, they state that they're going to put in an order for 10,000 ears from China. So that they order half the mask from one company... And then the ears from an entirely different company and put it together themselves. Yet another potent potential plot hole completely handled here. Like the suspicion maybe associated with Batman could cause a company that custom designed a cowl for Bruce Wayne, it could unravel who Batman is. And they cover that plot hole so nicely. Gordon is great. He says one of his first lines that he actually has, besides when he sees Bruce as a kid, is Flas comes out of, you know, a grocery store after grabbing some money for the crime bosses, like he's a corrupt cop, Flas is. And that's Gordon's partner. And he says, you know, one of these days one of these days you might become wise, you know. You're the only one who doesn't do this kind of crap, like running around, you know, being a corrupt cop. It makes some of us nervous. And Gordon's first line, he goes, I'm no rat, but in, this town, but in a town this bad, who's there to rat to anyway? I find that a, a very important line because it shows just how alone a good cop is in this corrupt city. So one item remains for, Batmo, for Batman, and that's the Batmobile. How do we make it practical? The tumbler, it's a tank. It's a pretty cool idea. I love how Batman's first appearance is almost horror-like. It's a shot from the thug's perspective. The score is very horror genre too. You got the strings kind of going in the background. You'd ever see Batman. He's like, there's scenes where, you know, he pulls a thug into the darkness and it's like really loud. You know, it's, it's, it's made to scare you in a sense. And I like that a lot, especially now that I'm older. I love the shot of Batman standing on the gargoyle. Now, that's a shot that we see a couple of times in this film. And I think it's an essential shot to any Batman movie that, you know, wasn't done since Keaton's movies. And that's him standing on a building top, you know, on a gargoyle, something with the score blaring. But we've never seen it middle of the movie or early on in Batman's career. So this movie is the first to do that. I like it when Bruce starts doing (laughs) push-ups. When I was a kid, I used to always want to be, you know, that strong, do those things. Like, I remember the first time I ever tried to, like, go on my tippy toes like he does and fall into the push-ups, I landed right on my face. It's not as easy as it looks or as he makes it look. I have here the nice car line where he goes, nice car. And he says, you should see my other one. I think that's really funny and a rare comedy moment for this movie. Scarecrow is terrifying. I repeat, terrifying. It scared me so much as a kid. It's a great mask and so good. You know, Joel Schumacher mentions in an interview that his studio, or that the studio wanted him to do another Batman movie. And, you know, he had enough, had his fill, wanted to move on but he said in that interview that he would have used scarecrow so i like i just have to think that these directors that take on this character have a, like some sort of a conversation with the previous director out of respect it sure seems like you know that's how it goes and i really like that when batman is talking to gordon the bat voice this is where the bat voice like i actually don't mind it here It's more of a whisper. I wish he could have used that voice more. I'll get into that in my bad side. Um, But yeah, you know, I don't like the bat voice for the most part in this film. When he talks to Flass, though, the first time, like the corrupt cop, he sort of strings him up by the feet and raises him up to the top of the skyscraper. This is the first time in my life that I was actually afraid of Batman. I was 10 years old and I was afraid. Looking back, I loved that, that scared me. He's very intimidating in that scene. Fun fact, the Narrows and the League of Shadows, which I mentioned earlier, they were sculpted miniature sets. How cool is that? Like amazing what film can do. You can just have like this tiny sculpture of this idea that you have and you can film it to sort of make it look like it's full scale size and that's what the Narrows of Gotham are it's a set piece a very tiny miniature clay set piece I love the scenes when Crane uses Fear Toxin on Batman and lights him on fire Batman meets his match for the first time Toxin puts him out for two days straight scary stuff he actually has to call Alfred for help which, you know, it's a crazy scene, and call back to the line, why do we fall? He sort of hears that in his dreams, his father saying, why do we fall? I like that Fox makes an antidote out of Bruce's blood. Never caught that before, but while Bruce is out, Fox mentions that he analyzed his blood and created an antidote out of the fear toxin that was located in his blood. Really cool. Another cool idea, to have a separate division of Gotham called the Narrows. I thought that was really cool. It was almost like, you know, upper east side of an area compared to, you know, the darker, lower (laughs) version of, you know, like an alley. Or, like, it just felt dark, gritty, dirty. The Narrows. Really cool idea. I like that the thugs are genuinely scared of the stories or things that they've heard about Batman. I heard he, you know, I heard he can fly and all this stuff. Is it true he can fly? It's like, well, we will find out, won't we? It's so scary when we see Crane, uh, how, how Crane sees Batman in the fear talks. And I remember that scene, first time I was in the theater watching it. Like, I'm talking, I was 10 years old, I had this hat on. And I was sitting next to my dad. And I remember I had the brim down <laughs> lower than my eyebrows while I was watching this film. Because, you know, at times, it was so scary. And especially in this part that I'm talking about, when Crane sort of gets a dose of his own medicine from Batman, he gives him the fear th- the fear toxin. And, you know, Crane sees Batman as this, like, dark figure. And he's, like, leaking this sort of tar out of his mouth. He's got this scary voice. It's very scary. Still is. Gordon goes in alone. And I love that. He doesn't fear Batman at all. This is the scene where, you know, Batman's on site and Crane's goons called the cops and they left. Or Obviously, Batman defeated them. And when, you know, when Crane is captured, he do- he douses Rachel in the fear toxin. And they're like, you know, SWAT's on the way, but we can wait And Gordon goes, you know, running into the building. The only cop who's not afraid to run in knowing Batman's on site. Uh, Batman's got that sort of sonar button, like sonar button in his boot. And he clicks it out of position in his boot and then drops it down the sort of stairwell. And it attracts all the bats and he uses it as a distraction to escape. I thought that was a really cool scene. Love the conversations between Jordan, or between Gordon and Batman about the fear toxin, you know, it's like, it's a psychological hallucinogen, you know, he's like telling Gordon what it is, what the source is, what's going to happen in Gotham in the future regarding this toxin, you know, he finds out like all of the information that the police now find out is through Gordon, which is through Batman. Like Batman does the original investigative work and it's just really, really awesome. Uh, The practical shot of Batman reclining down through the bats is really cool. You can tell that that was actually filmed and I love that a lot of Batman in the suit is a practical shot. None of it was really CGI'd. The scene where Batman is driving Rachel back to the cave talking to her is great because it's a very similar scene to the Burton films when Batman is driving Vicki Vale back to the Batcave. You know, she's looking at him on and off throughout the scene. But in this scene, you know, Rachel's actually dying and Batman has to rush back to the cave. And it made for a really good scene where he's like, you know, flying through the city in his Batmobile And uh, the cops are chasing him. It's a really great scene. When he's driving that car and talking to Rachel, you know, you're going to be okay. Like, stay awake. And then it gets to the point where he's like, he screams, Rachel! That's in the trailer that I put in the beginning of this film. That's a Batman moment for you right there, you know? And then the cops following him saying like, what street is he on? He's not on a street. He's flying on rooftops so cool and such a Batman moment. I love it when he's driving and he can sort of like lie on his stomach, like the Batmobile jolts him forward into like a sort of like he's on his stomach, like a missile. And he like, it's, he, he falls into like a separate compartment so he can like still drive, but he's like in a different position where he's like really focused. (laughs) It's, it's unreal. The toxin in the water supply, but the effects can't be felt unless inhaled through the lungs. So that's how they tie in sort of Wayne Enterprises with that microwave emitter, where it sort of vaporizes the water supply, and that's how it gets into the lungs and creates fear. That's their ultimate tool, is they want Gotham to rip itself apart, and that's really cool. Like Very awesome writing. Batman tells Rachel once she's awake, like he luckily gets there in time, you know, uh, sedates her and gives her the proper sort of drugs to help contain, gives her the antidote, helps her to contain the the toxin and makes her immune. Three people in the film are immune to the fear toxin and it's Batman, Gordon and Rachel and they kind of work as a team but separately. More Gordon and Batman working together than anything. And he says, get these to Gordon. Uh, Crane was just a pawn. We need to be ready. Like, great scene. Like, he knows who's coming. Alfred has this respect for the Waynes, for the Wayne name that Bruce doesn't have. And it works as a great narrative for Alfred throughout the whole film. Like, there's many times where, you know, Bruce isn't afraid to drag the family name through the mud and Alfred's like, hey, listen, like, that name stands for something. And I thought that was really great for that character. It's a very interesting choice to me to have Razal Ghoul is the main villain in this reboot. Like, it's actually fascinating to think about. Nolan's villains. Movie one is Razal Ghoul and Scarecrow. Movie two, Joker and Two Face. Movie three, Bane and Catwoman. He chose to do two villains, like a movie, you know, two villains a movie. But having one of the two be the main villain and the other being like a strong supporting villain. It's an interesting choice. This is a tidbit that I never noticed before, but I noticed in this watch of it. And it's when we find out, you know, Liam Neeson's character is now Razal al Ghul and he shows up to uh, Wayne Manor and he's going to burn it down. But he mentions just before he sort of knocks out Bruce and we get to that scene where Wayne Manor's burning, he mentions that this isn't the first time the League of Shadows is attacking Gotham City before they tried to do sort of a secret attack, an economic attack. And the Waynes, Thomas and Martha Wayne, sort of stopped that through, like indirectly through their ability to sort of help Gotham City through their power and through their money. So we find out that, yeah, like the League of Shadows was the, um, they were the main cause of the hunger, and the sort of like depression in Gotham for so long before, when Bruce was growing up, and the cause of ultimately Joe Chill and his parents' death. So that was a really cool little tidbit that I didn't catch before, and it makes for an even greater villain in Ra's Al Ghul. He mentions that. Razal Ghul mentions that justice is balance, and that, you know, he he burnt him, like Bruce burnt his house and left him for dead. So he's going to return the favor, which he's not wrong. Justice is balance, but Batman sees justice in a different light than Razal Ghul. You never did learn to mind your surroundings. Now this is a line that not only has a callback in this scene, but also later in the film. So sometimes he even, Christopher Nolan puts even callbacks three times in his films, even more than that sometimes. So you can never sleep on a line that Nolan puts in a film. Alfred saves Bruce twice in this film. He's a bigger uh, he's a bigger player than just a butler. And he finally says to Bruce, he says, Why do we fall so we can choose to pick ourselves up? You know, because Bruce is, you know, Alfred saves them. They go down the elevator shaft and Wayne Manor is burning above them. This whole, like, why do we fall so we can choose to pick ourselves back up? That's said by Thomas Wayne at the beginning of the film. And, you know, Alfred hears that and he carries it throughout the film to this moment. And that's why this sort of narrative that Alfred was always there, is really shown through, and he was there through, like, Bruce's whole life. And I just thought that was a really smart move to put, why do we fall? Use that line in that situation. Because, you know, Bruce is in the elevator shaft in that moment, and he says to Alfred, he's like, you know, everything my father built, it's gone. He says, well, why do we fall, sir? So we can choose to pick ourselves back up. It's great. This whole movie is based on the idea of fear. Fear is Bruce's ally. It's his achievement, and it's what he uses for justice, and it's also the threat in the third act. Ra's al Ghul is using fear as a tactic to have Gotham and its citizens tear itself apart. It's such a smart and awesome narrative for this film. Batman has a suit-up scene. Now, it's not that I never noticed it before, but I never put it together that like, hey, Christopher Nolan put a suit-up scene in this film for Batman because Joel Schumacher probably, like, that was his inspiration before, so he wanted to, you know, respect the source material, respect what has happened in the, in the past movies. And we kind of see that, in each one of the Batman films as we work our way from 89 all the way up to this point. When there's a change in director, they respect what the last director did. And I I love that. It's like Batman's a character... Like, actually, Joel Schumacher, he, he talks about Batman being a character that you sort of rent or loan from the company, which is owned by Warner Brothers. And you get to sort of play with that character, have fun with it, you know, make your movie, and then you sort of return it after a period of time. You return Batman to its owner, and then that owner rents it out to another guy. And it's it's really fascinating if you think about it that way. There's another line that comes back later in the film, and... You know, early on in the film, Rachel's talking to Bruce and she says, you know, it's not who you are underneath, but it's what you do that defies you. And before Batman sort of jumps off the rooftop after saving Rachel and this child um, from, you know, a crime ridden Gotham City, like basically they bust open all of the people or all of the prisoners from Arkham and they're running around in this like fear toxin infested Gotham city and they're just running wild on the streets and Batman comes in and saves them. And before he jumps off the rooftop, he says when Rachel asks, you know, who are you? How will I ever know who you are? He says, it's not who I am underneath, but what I do that defines me. And that's a great callback to another line. That's the theme of this Batman film is callback lines, callback scenes. Crazy scene of Batman flying overhead attached to the train. Again, you know, that looks very practical. I don't know if it's CGI. I don't think so. And, you know, the fact that I have to even say that is a really good sign. That means that if it was CGI, it was done really well. Such a well-thought-up setup of Gotham City, with the train being the main... Sort of main line to Wayne Tower, and Wayne Tower having the central hub of the water supply underneath it. So ultimately, they have the microwave emitter, the League of Shadows, have it on the train that's like heading down towards Wayne Manor and about to bust the main line. And as they, I like that scene where the train's sort of shooting down the main line, and as it's passing different uh, manholes, it's blowing the tops right off them because it's vaporizing the water supply as it goes by. Next, we have the moment where I talked about you never mind, you never learn to mind your surroundings. That line comes back for a third time here, where now Batman says, says it to Ra's al Ghul, "You never learn to mind your surroundings." And he flips them over, and Batman just straight up outsmarts him, and you sort of get this payoff where. He says, Ra's al Ghul says to him, you finally learned to do what is necessary. And Batman stays true to his morals and he says, I won't kill you, but I don't have to save you. Batman stays true to what he believes is justice. Watching this film is like watching like a grounded indie film on this big budget scale. It's really fascinating. Uh, and then obviously, you know, Lucius Fox takes over Wayne Enterprises the way Thomas would have had it set up. And he butts out Mr. Earl, kicks him out of his position. And there's another callback to a line early in the film where, uh, where Mr. Earl says to Lucius, you know, you're, I fired you this morning. Didn't you get the memo? And then, you know, Lucius gets his turn to say, didn't you get the memo? Rachel describes Bruce Wayne as the mask in this final scene where Rachel and Bruce are sort of walking through the rubble of Wayne Manor. She says to Bruce, you know, she like, this is your mask. And she is referring to his face, his true face, Bruce Wayne. And she says, you know, maybe someday when Gotham no longer needs Batman, we will see the real Bruce Wayne again. And that's just really cool that she sort of sees Bruce as the mask, not Batman. The payoff of Rachel saying, your father would be really proud of you, is huge. Because we really felt her disappointment earlier in the film when Bruce has the gun. And she says, your father would have been ashamed of you. You know, like, that's the person he values most. And, you know, to have his love interest kind of say... You know, she slaps him across the face when she sees that gun and say, you know, like, she sees this revenge-driven Bruce and she's like, you know, I hate who I'm seeing here and your father would be ashamed of you to, like, your father would be really proud of what you did now that she knows that he's Batman. it's, It's a big payoff if you think about it that way. This is an important scene. She asks Bruce, what will you do in regards to you know, the burnt down Wayne Manor. And Bruce says with like the shot is him kind of crouched down looking at the rubble and the sun is sort of rising in the background. If you look closely and he says, rebuild it just the way it was brick for brick. Another callback to an earlier line in the film when he's about, you know, 25 years old and angry that scene that I'm talking about where he shows up to Gotham and he's got the gun and all that stuff. He's angry at one point and he's talking to Alfred and he says he's going to tear down the place brick by brick. So now we see a hopeful Bruce Wayne instead of this angry, revenge-driven kid. Justice is harmony. That's the message. Final scene of Gordon and Batman on the rooftop by the bat signal, which obviously we're guessing Gordon made it because that's really all there is to it. Like, they don't really explain that, but yeah it's he says to batman he says you really started something there's hope on the streets i love that line we see gordon has been promoted to lieutenant that's part of the dialogue he mentions you know um that he's been promoted and then we get the oh so exciting joker easter egg to set up the next film and i still remember that moment when i was 10 years old watching this i was so stoked It still gives me chills when he flips that card over. And then all of a sudden, you know, uh, he's about to jump off the rooftop and Gordon says to him, I never said thank you. And Batman says, and you'll never have to love that ending. Powerful score to finish that line too. Batman begins. We finally see the title at the end. Christopher Nolan really started something cool with that waiting to see the title at the end. That's the first film that I remember that sort of had that um, wait till the end mentality with the title. And that's it. That's all the goods I have for Batman Begins. Now I'm going to dive into the bads. So bear with me here. I'm going to get this out of the way right now. Um, And I promise not to say it again for as long as the Dark Knight trilogy goes on here for this segment. I have to get this out of the way. It's just my opinion, and I want to be honest from the very start. I don't like Christian Bale as Bruce Wayne. Or really Batman either. He just... I don't know what it is, but he doesn't have it for me. And his lisp takes away from the character so much, in my opinion. I also don't like Rachel. Katie Holmes is better than Maggie Gyllenhaal, which, you know, obviously, Maggie Gyllenhaal takes over for that character because of scheduling conflicts, uh, in the dark Knight*, which is the second one, but I just can't get on board with a love interest that never really lands. Why do the people in prison, like Bruce is in, okay, Bruce is in this prison at the beginning of the movie and I never really liked how he's sort of stuck in prison and, you know, like why he's there in the first place. Like they show a scene where they sort of find some illegal contraband in China with Wayne's logo on it, like Bruce Wayne's logo. And, you know, apart from that, they don't really say much more. But he's just in this, he's just in this Chinese prison. And it says, you know, this this guy comes up to him at the very beginning of the film. He's like, you're not the devil. Or he's like, I am the devil. And Bruce says, you're not the devil. Or, okay, he goes like this. He goes, you're in hell, little man, and I'm the devil. And he's like, you're not the devil, you're practice. Practice for what? Like, I wasn't really under the impression that Bruce was already in training at this point. It just didn't really work for me, that scene. I wish this film didn't bounce around through the timelines. You know I mentioned earlier in the podcast that I would get into this uh, in the bats And it's that... I like The Dark Knight so much. And the reason for that is The Dark Knight has a start and a finish. And it's not all over the place. Batman Begins is a tad bit annoying at times in the sense that it jumps from past to present often without a warning. Next one is I think Ra's al Ghul is kind of lame in this film. Not Ducard. I wish they would have just made Ducard Ra's al Ghul from the start. I thought that would have been, you know, potentially a lot better. But we get this lame sort of Walmart version of Razal al Ghul at the very beginning, and I just found him very irrelevant and stupid. I don't really liked how they tried to explain how Bruce ends up in prison. Like I said earlier, it's, you know, it's so brief. And just, why did he have to be in prison? I guess, yeah, I don't know. It's just a plot point that really doesn't make much sense, and it doesn't grab me right off the start. It's a little far-fetched that this random secret league of ninjas deep in in the Chinese Alps have one destination in mind, and that's Gotham. Like, why Gotham City, you know? I don't like his batarangs, or the scene associated with it. Christian's lisp is, like, it really shines through in this scene. And Zane Zane Tomic, if you're listening to this, you know this part, where he goes, bats frighten me. It's time my enemies share my dread. Ugh. Like, Bruce Wayne needs to be more charismatic than that. You know what I mean? And I think that's my biggest flaw in this film, and that sucks. <laughs> you know? And as in regards to the Batarangs in this scene, they just feel really impractical and, like, really, really small to me. Cutaway fight scenes, yes. So every time Batman fights, it cuts away. (laughs) And it kind of bothers me. Like, it's so choppy, and his fighting is just never really there. Christian Bale's Batman voice. Now, I get why they decided to do it, but I prefer my Batman voice to just be like a deeper, cooler version of Bruce's voice. And I just felt like They didn't need to go with this sort of growly tone. He does it at some points where he's sort of whispering. And I like that it works. And I wish he would have done that. But then at the same time, like Batman has a lisp, like it's nothing against Christian Bale because he's a very, very good actor and visually perfect for the role. But I think, To be completely honest with you, it's the lisp. And I'll tell you this, it's not great for a Batman film when Batman is kind of the problem I have with it. (laughs) I wish I liked the Bruce Wayne that, you know, Christian puts out, but, you know, like I said earlier, he decides to play like an asshole Bruce Wayne in the public eye. And I just like my Bruce Wayne to be humble. You know he can still live that billionaire lifestyle without being a dick, and it made me sort of uncomfortable at times. I guess again, this is all just a just an opinion based set of negative uh, remarks, right? Any like, and you know what? I know a lot of people. I've read a lot of reviews and comments, and to them, Christian Bale is their Batman and will always be their Batman, and no doubt, like great uh great version of Batman but I'm of the point of view that these Batman movies are so great because of everything else except for Batman in them and that's just my opinion on it you know you have a great movie a great script a great sort of crew everything about it great director but the Batman casting didn't necessarily work for me. And that's all I really have to say about that. The choice to make the Bat suit all black, it never quite landed for me. Again, just an opinion. You know, when he opens the... I like that he kind of keeps it in a closet. And when he opens that closet, you see the cowl and you see sort of his bat suit and they really zoom in on the bat logo and again, I understand why the suit is wide, it, like the way it is because we're dealing with a very grounded version of Batman and it's just like an all black suit but on screen, it doesn't really work <laughs> and that's just my opinion All black Batman. Like obviously the Dark Knight and the Dark Knight Rises suits when he sort of steps it up are a lot cooler. And I'll get into that in my future episodes. Final bad note is the fighting choreography was definitely sort of minimal in this film and they chose to focus more on the story, which is fine and I think benefited the movie more than anything. I just like my Batman to have a little better fighting scenes than we've seen in this film. And that's just a personal opinion again. So, that's it for the bads, and now I'm going to get into my conclusion. Batman Begins, 2005. A third reboot on the Batman franchise. A grounded Batman story. Is it possible to do a real-life Batman origin film? Was it smart to use a not-so-well-known indie film-style director? Does this take on the cape crusader have enough imagination to it why was this version of the character so popular does the comic book movie guy goods outweigh the comic book movie guy bads let's give you some answers here so the comic book movie guy goods 80 points comic book movie guy bad 15 points and without really diving too deep into what was good what was bad what you what you already heard there does the scale tip the right direction look we know that the dark knight trilogy every one of these movies is going to tip the scale in the good direction but what i really want you to pay attention to in these specific these three specific films is maybe more so my detailed points and then i really want to want you to pay attention to the final summary which i'm going to get into right now all right here we go final summary the year is 2005 I'm 10 years old and I'm sitting in the theater about to watch my first ever Batman film on the big screen. This movie scared me, it thrilled me, and it made for great timing to continue a love for a hero that was so present in my childhood that I think to myself as I write this final summary, what if this movie was bad? What if I didn't like it? The time when this movie was released was a time in my life where I was about to enter my teens, still liking Batman. If this movie somehow had flopped or didn't come across the way Christopher Nolan had intended it, it could have made me not like Batman going into my teenage years. That's a bit of a scary thought in my opinion. So what did we get? Arguably the best introduction to the greatest superhero trilogy in cinematic history. This grounded Batman story is so well-written that my bad points that I have regarding Christian's somewhat irritating voice or lisp or my problems that I have with the grounded version of the bat suit, go right out the window. I did something that I hadn't done in previous watches. I listened intently to every line. This movie is poetry for a Batman fan. The way justice and vengeance are defined are unmatched to any prior versions of the film we've ever gotten. Batman Begins is an origin tale that commits to a narrative and to a real-life world that we had never seen brought to the superhero films before. This movie trilogy is so popular in the world because it can be watched as a non-superhero film. At times, I classify Nolan's trilogy as a non-comic book movie genre. For that reason, it has some negative effects on me personally, but that comes down to a personal opinion. And I can't deny that Christopher Nolan's origin story for Batman was one for the ages. Comic book movie guy final score, Batman Begins, 8 out of 10. So there you have it. That's Batman Begins. And now, like, I just can't believe we're into the 2000s here, guys. We're into the Dark Knight trilogy. And it's sad, but it's true. This Dark Knight trilogy is going to close out the series segment, The Scale. So next week, we're going to be getting into the all-time Batman film. We're going to talk about why it is one of the best movies for not only the superhero movie genre, but one of the best movies of all time, The Dark Knight. So tune in next week. I've been Comic Book Movie Guy. This has been a lot of fun. We'll see you guys next time. From your secret friend. The bridge, who? Top of a leak, and the trapped, having a clue. My pet. Let's play a game. Just me and you. Any of this mean anything to you?